Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. have some special guests here. We do? Yes. It's Jenna and Peyton. Just kidding. We have Emma and we have Haley. And Haley is a mad reader. Mad meaning crazy good obsessive. Loves it. Probably reads more than most children. Oh my gosh, are you making them dragons? Oh, I'm making them. Yeah, I'm making oh, them. She's obsessed with making these. Yeah. You guys want to say hi? Sure. Hi. Hi. And how do you guys know Peyton? Mm, our moms are friends. Mm-hmm. You're, yep, I'm friends with your mom. Mm-hmm. If if your mom's listening to this, would you like to give a shout out to Mama? What do you guys call her? Mm, mom. Like, don't don't say your last name, but like Mama Nikki. <laughs> <laughs> what do you call her? Just mom. Boring. When I was young, my mom was always really small, and so I would say Big Mama. <laughs> and your mom's hella tiny now, so you should say, shout out to Big Mama. <laughs> Get it? Because she's tiny. Yeah. Okay, anyways, let's go. A series of unfortunate events. Have I read with, uh, uh, have we done this when you guys were here no. yet? Oh my god, what? We always flake out. Okay, well now you get to, now you know how it goes. It's really exciting, okay? It is cold here. It was like drizzling earlier, and guess what that means? This is Halloween, this is Halloween, pumpkin scream in the dirt of night. I am ready, and all the Halloween spirit stores are opening, which tomorrow we're going to go um, to Santa Rosa. And um, I just like feel like, I'm really feeling in my heart that we should go to the spirit store if they're open. How do you guys feel about that? Yes. yes. She says yes, and they say, yeah, sure. And Emma, what did you say? Yes. <laughs> okay, chapter four of book the ninth. The carnivorous carnival. Carnivorous. Do you know what that means? Yes. What does? Yeah. Okay. Oh, look, we have a Klaus Baudelaire in the in the house. <laughs> what does carnivorous mean? I don't think carnivorous means when it's when someone is eating like when someone is eating something like meat. Mm-hmm. Like they but only it's eat like meat. eating eating. I'm pretty sure it's eating the same thing as they are carnivorous. Oh, that's so close. That is called a carnivore is something that eats meat. And Peyton knows that because we used to tell Peyton you're a carnivore. You're thinking of cannibal where you eat people. Yeah. It's true. I actually just read a book about that. That's too scary for this podcast. Yeah. But it wasn't really you guys. Anyways. Um, on to less dark things. Okay. Chapter four. Uh, what? Asked Hugo, yawning and rubbing his eyes. What did you say? I said that the gift caravan is almost out of figurines, the hook-handed man said from behind the door. But that's not your concern. People are already arriving at the carnival, so you freaks need to be ready in 15 minutes. Wait a moment, sir. Violet, Violet thought using her low, disguised voice just in time as she and her brother climbed down from their hammock, still sharing a single pair of pants. 
Sunny was already on the floor and too astonished to remember that. Remember to growl. Did you say that one of the Baudelaire parents is alive? The door of the caravan opened a crack and the children could see the face of the hook-handed man peering at them suspiciously. What do you care, freaks? He asked. Well, Klaus said, thinking very quickly, we've been reading about the Baudelaire's in the Daily Punctilio. We're very interested in the case of those three murderous children. Well, the hook-handed man said, those kids' parents were supposed to be dead, but Madame Lulu looked into her crystal ball and saw that one of them was alive. It's a long story, but it means that we're going to be very, very busy. Count Olaf and Madame Lulu have to leave early this morning to run an important errand, so now I'm in charge of the House of Freaks. That means I get to boss you around, so hurry up and get ready for the show. Grrr, Sunny growled. Chabo's all Chabo. Chabo's all set to perform, Violet said, and the rest of us will be ready soon. You'd better be, the co-candid man said, and began to shut the door before stopping a moment. That's funny, he said. It looks like one of your scars is blurry. They they blur as they heal, Klaus said. Too bad, the hook-handed man said. Makes you look less freakish. He slammed the door, and the siblings could hear him walk away from the caravan. I feel sorry for that man, Colette remarked as, as she swung down from her hammock and curled into a contortion on the floor. Every time that he, that, that count person comes to visit, he make, it makes me feel bad to look at his hooks. Well, he's better off than me, Kevin said, yawning and stretching his ambidextrous arms. At least one of his hooks is stronger than the other. This guy's not a freak. Why does he think he's a freak? Because he's too perfect. The ambidextrous so, guy? Yeah. Oh, what a weirdo. Just kidding. <laughs> My arms and legs are exactly alike. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mine are very bendable, Colette said. Well, we'd better do as the man said and get ready for the show. Um, If any parents are listening, that reminds me of the episode of Phoebe when she's trying to pretend to seduce um, Chandler. And she said, I'm very bendy. <laughs> you guys see that episode? Anybody in here? No, your children. Okay. Yeah, yeah that comment was reserved, reserved for adults. 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 That's right, Hugo agreed, reaching into the shelf of the next, next to his hammock, pulling out a toothbrush. Madame Lulu says that we must always give people what they want, and the man wants us ready right away. Here, Chabo, said Violet, looking down at her sister. I'll help you sharpen your teeth. Grr, Sunny agreed, and the two older Baudelaire's leaned down together and lifted up Sunny and moved her to the corner where the children could whisper to one another near the mirror. While Hugo and Colette and Kevin performed their toilet trees, oh, they performed their toilet, a phrase here which means did the things necessary to begin their day as carnival freaks. What do you think, Klaus asked. Do you think it's really possible that one of our parents is alive? I don't know, said Violet. On one hand, it's hard to believe that Madame Lulu really has a magical crystal ball. But on the other hand, she always told Count Olaf where we were, so he could come, he could come to find us. I don't know what to believe. Tent, Sunny whispered. I think you're right, Sunny, Klaus said. If we could just sneak into the fortune teller's tent, we might be able to find out a secret to, to find out something for ourselves. You're whispering about me, aren't you? Kevin called from the other end of the caravan. I bet you're saying what a freak Kevin is. Sometimes he shaves with his left hand and sometimes he shaves with his right. But it doesn't matter because they're exactly the same. Uh, we weren't, we weren't talking about you, Kevin, Violet said. We were discussing the Baudelaire case. I've never heard of these Baudelaire's, Hugo said, combing his hair. Did I hear you mention? 
that they were murderers? Well, that's what it says in the Daily Punctilio, Klaus said. Oh, I'd never read the newspaper, Kevin said. Holding on, holding it in both of my equally strong hands makes me feel like a freak. That's better than me, Colette said. I can contort myself into positions that allows me to pick up the newspaper with my tongue. Talk about freakish. Uh, it's an interesting dilemma, Hugo said, grabbing one of his identical coats from the rack. But I think we're equally freakish now. Let's get out of here and, and put on a good show. The Baudelaire's followed their co-workers out of the caravan and headed over to the House of Freak's tents, where the hook-handed man was standing impatiently, holding something long and damp with his hook. Get inside and put on a good show, he ordered, gesturing to a flap at the tent that was that served as an entrance. Madame Lulu said that if you don't give the audience what they want, I'm allowed to use this tailgate grand tail what is that? This tail tailgate Tele, wait, wait, hold on. Taglatel Grande. Um, no, it's something. Um, should we go Tag Taglatel Grande. Whatever. What's a Taglatel Grande? Colette asked. A tag. Okay, hold on. I gotta sound this out like a kid. Tag light L. Tag light L. Tag little. Tag little. No, it's like something weird. Okay. Whatever. Is a type of a noodle, said the hook handed man, and he explained, uncoiling the like a whip. Like a whip. Oh. It's a big noodle that the car- carnival. Ariana Grande. Or something like that. I don't know. No. It's the Ariana Grande. <laughs> and the Baudelaire's. Uh, uh, okay. Um, Olaf's comrade waved this big noodle over his head, and the Baudelaire's and their co workers heard the limp swishing sound as it moved through the air, as if a large earthworm were crawling nearby. And if you don't do what I say, the hook handed man continues, I get to hit you with this tell. Oh my gosh. Tagletel Grande. I met people. If anybody listening to this knows me, they're going to think that I am like this complete degenerate, but I swear this book that is written for children has hard words for grown-ups i know i got even never even heard of that word ariana grande. Ariana grande. i'm just gonna it. start calling it ariana grande yeah. yes. i get to hit you with this ariana grande which i've heard is an unpleasant and somewhat sticky experience don't worry sir hugo said we're professionals I'm glad to hear it, the hook-handed man sneered and followed them into the house of freaks. Inside, the tent looked even bigger, particularly because there wasn't much to see in a large space. There was a wooden stage with very few folding chairs placed on it. Oh, that means, like, because it's not a very popular carnival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that stinks. Um, and a banner overhead, a banner overhead which read "House of Freaks" in large, sloppy letters. There was a small stand where one of the white-faced women was selling cold beverages, and there was a seven or eight people milling around waiting for the show to begin. Madame Lulu had mentioned that the business had been slow at the Calgary Carnival, but the siblings had still expected a few more people to show up at the to see the carnival freaks as the children and their co-workers approach the sage the hook-handed man begins speaking to the small group of people as if they were a vast crowd ladies and gentlemen boys and girls adolescents of both genders he announced hurry up and buy your delicious cold beverages because the house of freaks is about to house of freaks show is about to begin Look at all those freaks, giggled the member of the audience, a middle-aged man with several large pimples on his chin. A man with the hook instead of hands. <laughs> I'm not one of the freaks, the hook-handed man growled. I work, I work here at the carnival. 
Oh, I'm sorry, the man said, but if you don't mind me saying so, if you purchased a pair of realistic hands, no one would make that mistake. It's not polite to comment on other people's appearances, the hook-handed man said sternly. Now, ladies and gentlemen, gaze with horror on Hugo the Hunchback instead of a real back. He has a big hump that makes him look very freakish. That is true, the pimpled man said, seeming willing to giggle at, a person or an, at one person or another. What a freak. The hook-handed man waved his large noodle in the air as a limp reminder to the Baudelaire's and the co-workers. Hugo, he said, put on your coat. As the audience teetered, Hugo walked to the front of the stage and tried to put the coat on that he was holding. Usually, if someone <laughs> this cat, usually if someone has a body with an unusually shape, oh, an unusual shape, they will hire a tailor to do their to alter their clothing so it will fit comfortably and attractively. But as Hugo struggled with the coat, it was clear that no such tailor had been hired. Hugo's hump wrinkled in the back of his coat and then stretched it and then finally ripped it as he did the buttons, so that within the moments the cloth, the coat had just been a few pieces of tattered cloth blushing hugo retreated to the back of the stage and sat on the folding chair as the members of the teeny audience tiny audience howled with laughter isn't that hilarious the hook-handed man said he can't even put on a coat what a freakish person but wait ladies and gentlemen there's more olaf's henchman shook the t- the ariana grande <laughs> again while reaching into the pocket of this hook of the other with his other hook he has two hook hook hands oh, oh the door's open yeah smiling wickedly he withdrew an ear of corn and held it up for the audience to see this is a simple ear of corn he announced it is something that any normal person can eat but here at caligari carnival we don't have a house of normal people we have a house of freaks yeah with a brand new freak that will turn this ear of corn into a hilarious mess violet and clout what well, okay. No, she's like laying on us. She's so cute. Violet and Klaus sighed and walked to the center of the sage. And I do not think that I have to describe their tiresome show any longer. You can undoubtedly guess that the two oldest eldest Baudelaire's forced, were forced to eat another ear of corn while a small group of people laughed at them. And that Colette was forced to twist her body into unusual shapes and positions that Kevin had tried to write his name with both his left and his right hand. And that Finally, poor Sunny was forced to growl at the audience. Although she was not ferocious as person, for a ferocious person by nature, I would prefer to greet them politely. Oh, you would have preferred to greet them politely. And you could imagine how the crowd reacted as the hook-handed man announced each person and forced them to do these things. Seven or eight people laughed, shouted cruel names, and made terrible, tasteless jokes. And one woman even threw her cold beverage of paper cup and all at kevin as if someone who was both right-handed and left-handed somehow deserved to have a wet and sticky stains on his shirt but what you may not be able to imagine unless you have a similar experience yourself is how humiliating it was to participate in such a show you might think that being humiliated is like riding a bike or decoding a secret message it would get easier if you'd just done it a few times but the Baudelaire's had been laughed at more than a few times, and it did not make this experience at the House of Freaks easier at all. Violet remembered when a girl named Carmelita Spatz had laughed at her and called her names when the children were enrolled in Proof Rock Preparatory School, but it still hurt her feelings when the hook-handed man announced 
her announced her at something hilarious. Klaus remembered when Esme Squalor had insulted him at 667 Dark Avenue, but he still blushed when the audience pointed and giggled at every single ear of corn that slipped out of his hands. And Sonny remembered all the times that Count Olaf had laughed at all three Baudelaire's and their misfortune, but she still felt embarrassed with a little, with a little sick and a little sick when people called her wolf freak as she followed the other performers out of the tent when she was when her show was over. The Baudelaire orphans even knew that they weren't really two-headed person or a baby wolf as they but as they sat with their co-workers in the freak's caravan afterward they felt so humiliated that it was as if they were freakish as freakish as everyone thought. I don't like this place, Violet said to Kevin and Colette, sharing a chair with her brother in the caravan's table, while Hugo made hot chocolate on the stove. She was so upset that she almost forgot to speak in a low voice. I don't like being stared at, and I don't like being laughed at. If people think that it's funny when someone drops an ear of corn, they should stay home and drop it themselves. Exactly. Have you guys ever been to a carnival where they have, like, carnival freaks? No, no. I've never been to a carnival. Yeah, wait. Yeah. I mean, we... There's a carnival... Um, in Petaluma, by Target, but... Like, right now? Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, there yeah. is, like, that tent. Yeah. Uh-huh, it's huge. Yeah, I see it. Oh, my gosh, that was the one in Runner Park, too. It's called, it has, like, a little gypsy picture. I know what you're talking about. Honestly, we should go, um, hello? We should go. Look, I'm a poet, and I know it. Okay. I'm a poet, and I know it. Okay. Okay. Key wound, Sonny agreed, forgetting to growl. She meant something along the lines of, I thought I was going to cry when all those people were calling me a freak. But luckily, only her siblings understood her. She didn't give away her disguise. Don't worry, Klaus said as her sister said to her sisters. I don't think we'll stay here for very long. The fortune-telling tent is closed today because Count Olaf and Madame Lulu are running their important errand. The middle Baudelaire did not need to add that it would be good time to sneak out of the tent and find out if Lulu's crystal ball had really held the answers where they were seek- that they were seeking. Why do you care if Lulu's tent is closed, Claude asked. You're a freak, not a fortune-teller. And why don't you want to stay here, Kevin asked. Calgary Ca- Carnival isn't very popular lately, but there's been nowhere else for a freak to go. Of course there is, Violet said. Lots of people are ambidextrous, Kevin. They're ambidextrous florists, ambidextrous ambidextrous air traffic controllers, and all sorts of things. You really think so, Kevin asked? Of course I do, Violet said. And the same thing with contortionists and hunchbacks. All of us could find some other type of job where people don't think we're freakish at all. Well, I'm sure that's true, Hugo called over the stove. I think that a two-headed person is going to be considered pretty freakish with no matter where they go. That's probably the same as an ambidextrous person, Kevin said with a sigh. Let's, okay, remember we have to be really quiet, okay? These loud guests in this room. Duh. I was trying to think of something that one of the Baudelaire's would say, but I can't think of it. And it's probably the same with, with an and, ambidextrous person, Kevin said with a sigh. Let's try to figure out our troubles and play dominoes, Hugo said. Bring over a tray with six steaming mugs of hot chocolate. Aw, that's so nice. He made everybody hot chocolate. I thought both of your heads might want, might want to drink separately, he explained with a smile. Particularly because this hot chocolate is a bit unusual. Chabo, the baby wolf, added a little bit of cinnamon. Chabo added it, Klaus asked with a surprise as Sunny growled modestly. Yes, Hugo said. At first, I thought it was some freaky wolf recipe, but it's actually quite tasty. 
Well, that was a clever idea, Chabo, Klaus said, and gave his sister a squinty smile. It seemed only a little while ago that the youngest Baudelaire couldn't walk and was small enough to fit inside of a birdcage, and now she was developing into her own interest, and it was big enough to seem half-wolf. You should be very proud of yourself, Hugo agreed. If you weren't a freak, Chabo, you could grow up to be an excellent chef. She could be an excellent chef anyways, Violet said. Elliot, would you mind if, stepping, if we stepped outside to enjoy our hot chocolate? Do you guys want me to make you hot chocolate after yes. this? Yeah. Okay, okay. Later. That's a good idea, Klaus said quickly. I've always considered hot chocolate to be an outdoor beverage, and I'd like to take a peek in the, carab- in the gift caravan. Grr, Sunny growled at her siblings, and they knew what she meant. I'll come with you. And she crawled over to where Violet and Klaus were awkwardly rising from the chair. Don't be too long, Colette said. We're not supposed to wander around the carnival. We'll just drink our hot chocolate and come right back, Klaus promised. I hope you don't get into trouble, Kevin said. I hate to think of the Ariana Grande hitting both of your heads. The Baudelaire's were just about to point out that blow from the tell, tell <laughs> Ariana Grande probably wouldn't hurt one bit. But when they heard the noise, which was far from fearsome, far, far more fearsome than a large noodle waving in the air, even from inside the caravan, the children could hear a loud, creaky noise that they recognized from their long trip to the hinderlands. That sounds like a gentleman friend of Madame Lulu's, Hugo said. That's the sound of his car. I'm trying to see how many... Okay. There's another sound too, Colette said. Listen. The tr- children listened and heard the contortionist had spoke the truth. Accompanying the roar of the engine was another roar that sounded deeper and angrier than any automobile. The Baudelaire's knew that you cannot judge somebody by its sound any more than you can judge a person by the way they look. But this roar was so loud and fierce that the youngsters could <laughs> not, oh my gosh, could not imagine that it brought good news. You should have just done one. Oh, it's for your dragons. That's funny, Peyton. <laughs> but you should have done one big eyebrow. Here... Here I must interrupt the story as I am writing and tell you another story in order to make an important point. The second story of is fictional, a word here which means somebody made it up one day, as opposed to the story of the Baudelaire orphanage, which somebody merely wrote it down, usually at night. It is called The Story of the Queen of Queen Debbie and Her Boyfriend Tony, and it goes something like this. The story of Queen Debbie and her boyfriend Tony. Once upon a time, there lived a fictional queen named Queen Debbie who ruled over the land where the story takes place, which is made up. This fictional land has, a lolly- has lollipop trees growing everywhere and singing mice that did all of the chores. And there were fe- oh wow, Peyton. And there were fierce and fictional lions who guarded the palace against fictional enemies. When Debbie had a when Queen Debbie had a boyfriend named Tony who lived in the neighboring fictional kingdom. Because they lived so far away, Debbie and Tony couldn't see each other that often, but occasionally they would go out to dinner and a movie and do other fictional things together. Tony's birthday arrived, and Queen Debbie had some royal business and couldn't travel to see him, but she sent him a nice card and a... What's a minor bird? Oh, my. oh my. I think it's like a carrier bird that carries a minor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, Sin- yeah, and like Harry Potter. Yes. Uh, um, and the owl. Okay, a miney bird in a shiny cage. The proper thing to do if you receive a present, of course, is to write a thank you note. But Tony was not a particularly proper person and called Debbie to complain. Debbie, this is Tony, Tony said. I got the birthday present you sent me and I don't like it at all. 
Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Queen Debbie said, plucking a lollipop off of a nearby tree. I picked out the minor bird especially for you. What sort of present would you prefer? I think you should give me a bunch of valuable diamonds, said Tony, who was as greedy as he was fictional. Diamonds, Queen Debbie said. But minor birds can cheer you up when you're sad. You can teach them to sit on your hand, and sometimes they can even talk. I want diamonds. God was he, Olaf. But diamonds are so valuable, the queen said. If I send you diamonds in the mail, they'll probably get stolen on their way to you. And then you won't have any presents at all. I want diamonds, whined Tony. Or may he whined, I want diamonds, whined Tony, who was really becoming quite tiresome. I know what I'll do, Queen Debbie said with a faint smile. I'll feel my, I'll feed my diamonds to the royal lion and then send the lions to your kingdom. No one would dare attack a bunch of fierce lions. So when the diamonds are sure, so then the diamonds are sure to arrive safely. <laughs> Hurry up, Tony said. It's supposed to be my special day. It was easy for Queen Debbie to hurry up because the singing mice who lived in her palace did all of the necessary chores. So it only took a few minutes for her to feed a bunch of diamonds to her lions, wrapping the jewels in tuna fish first so the lions would agree to eat them. Then she instructed the lions to travel to the neighboring kingdom and deliver the presents. Tony waited impatiently outside the house for the rest of the day, eating all of the ice cream and cake and teasing his mind a bird. Oh, that's rude. And finally, just about... Just about a sunset, he he saw the lions approaching on the horizon and ran to collect his present. Give me those diamonds, you stupid lions, Tony cried. And there was no need to tell you the rest of the story, which was rather obvious moral. Never look a gift lion in the mouth. And the point here is that there were arrival of a bunch of lions. And the good news is that the purely... Wait, the point here... The point is that there are times where the arrival of a bunch of lions is good news, particularly in a fictional story where the lions are not real, and so they probably won't hurt you. There are some cases, as in the case of Queen Debbie and her boyfriend, Tony, where the arrival of lions means that the story is about to get much better. But I am sad to say that in this case, the Baudelaire orphans is not one of those times. The story of the Baudelaire's does not take place in a fictional land. Oh, that's so cute! where lollipops grow on trees and singing mice do all of the chores. And the story of the Baudelaire's, the story of the Baudelaire's takes place in a very real world where some people are laughed at and some people have wrong things and some people have wrong things with them where children can find themselves all alone in the world, struggling to understand the sinister mystery that surrounds them. And in the real world, the arrival of lions means that the story is about to get much worse. And if you do not have a stomach for such a story, any more than lions have a stomach for diamonds not coated in tuna fish, it would be best for you to turn around right now and run the other way as the Baudelaire's wish that they could stay, wish they could as they existed, the, as they exited the caravan and saw Count Olaf and brought with him when he returned from his errand. Count Olaf drove his black automobile between the rows of caravans, nearly running over several visitors to the carnival, stopped right at the tent of the House of Freaks, and turned off the engine, which ended, ended the creaky roar the children had recognized. But the other angrier roar continued as Count Olaf got out of the car, followed by Madame Lulu, and pointed with a flourished pointed with a flourish to a trip what's pointed with a flourish what's a flourish uh, I don't 
to a trailer that was attached to the rear of the automobile. The trailer was really more of a metal cage on wheels, and the bars of the cage that the boilers can see what the villain was pointing at. The trailer was filled with lions, a pack packed in so tightly that the children couldn't tell how many there were. The lions were unhappy to be traveling in such tight quarters and were showing their unhappiness by scratching the cage with their claws and snapping at one another with their long teeth and roaring as loudly and as fiercely as they could. Some of Count Olaf's henchmen gathered around along with several visitors to the carnival to see what was going on and Olaf tried to say something to them but couldn't be heard over the lion's roars. Frowning, the villains removed the whip from his pocket and whipped at the lions through the trailer like through the trailer bars like people. Animals animals would become oh careful. Animals would become frightened and likely to do whatever you say if you whip them enough, and the lions finally quieted down so Olaf could make his announcement. Ladies and gentlemen, he said, boys and girls, freaks and normal people. Calgary Carnival is proud to announce the arrival of these fierce lions who will be used in the new attraction. That's good news, said somebody in the crowd, because these souvenirs in the, in the gift caravan are pretty lousy. This is good news, Count Olaf said. Uh, uh, Count Olaf agreed with his eyes and snarled as he turned to face the Baudelaire's. His eyes were shining very brightly, and the siblings shivered in their disguise that he looked as he looked at the children and then gathered the crowd. Things are about to get much better around here, he said, and the Baudelaire orphans knew that this was as fictional as anyone could imagine. I am terrified. If you okay, really quickly, if you look under the Buddha, the fish goes in there. He that's like his home. He swims up there. Oh yeah, they were wondering about that. Isn't that so cute? Yeah, Peyton has a pet beta. Some people call it beta, but I just call it beta because that's just what I was grew up saying. And we have this little Buddha that sits in there, and it is tilted because there's air in it. And now we leave it like that. It did that one time on accident. But now we leave it like that because we were like, where is the, where's the fish? Did it get out? And he was up the Buddha. Isn't that so cute? How did you know? Well, because we found him. We're like, where is he? He he was like nowhere in there. That's a small, you know, it's like a five gallon tank. So we're like, what the? And then we found him. He likes it under there. It's so cute. Okay, guys. Say bye. 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 Bye.